I know most of you are, are a lot more spiritual than I am, but let me just kind of confess this. There's a lot of times when there are things that I do in my life that I just, I don't think about them anymore. They just kind of become automatic. You just, you do them. You don't even think about why you're doing it. You just kind of do it. And sometimes that can even happen in spiritual areas of your life. And I have even some spiritual disciplines in my life that I just do, but I don't do it with a whole lot of meaning. I I don't really think about it. Let me give you a for instance. Like when I'm praying over a meal. And I I don't know about you. I mean, I mean it. I'm sincere. But when I pray over my meal, I really don't think about what I'm praying. I kind of have this standard prayer that I just kind of pray it. And it's just kind of what comes out. We do it. We always pray on a regular basis over meals. If you want to buy myself, I'll I'll do that. But it's just kind of this, the the, the words just kind of come out. It's just kind of automatic. Anybody else, you're just kind of like that? It's just, it's not like it's terribly spiritual. Unless there's a few times in my life where I've looked at what's in front of me and I've said, man, I need to pray. You ever been at somebody's house and you're like, I'm, I am praying over this right now. When we were in Asia, Pastor Bill and I were in Asia where the, where the team is now um, back in February and there were some meals that they brought to us and my initial thought when I looked at what was in front of me was, dear God, I need your help right now. Through it all, through it all, my intestines are on you. Lord, you, I am praying in the spirit. I am just, because I know this, God, you've got to bless that food because otherwise, because there's times when you just pray and then there's times when you pray, right? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter one this morning and we are gonna look at a prayer that Paul prayed. It wasn't something he just did automatic. It wasn't something he did without thinking. This was a very specific, deliberate, powerful prayer that he prayed for a church that he loved. You know, we're in the book of Ephesians. And a couple weeks ago, we started in chapter one. We're doing a series of messages called Stories. And, and Paul knew this church. In fact, he's writing a letter to the Ephesians. They were the people that lived in the city of Ephesus. And as he's writing this letter to them, he knows them. He started this church. He taught these people. He loved these people. And now he's writing them this letter. And it's been five to seven years, scholars would say, since he was last there. The last time he saw them was five to seven years before. And now he's in a prison in Rome and he's writing them this letter. And he knows this. Acts chapter 20 tells us that he will never see them again. And so he's writing this letter to them. And he starts out by just kind of giving them an introduction and and talking to them about who God is. And then he takes the next 11 or 12 verses and he pours out this powerful theology on them about what God has done for them and about who they are in Christ. Except it's not just theology to him. He's writing to his friends and he's saying, look, I'll never see you again. So I do not want you to forget what you have in Christ. I don't want you to forget what Jesus has done for you. I don't want you to forget how powerful his spiritual blessings are for you in heavenly places, how in Christ you have a purpose for your life. There are promises for you in Christ. And that's what we've looked at the last two weeks as we've gone through this series. And then for the next two weeks, we're gonna look at Paul's prayer because after he talks to them about what they have in Christ, then he prays a prayer for them. And it's not just some prayer like you would pray over your soup before lunch. No, he means this prayer. He thinks through every word. This is very deliberate for him. And he says to the church in Ephesus, this is what I pray for you. Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. He says, for this reason, because of what Christ has done for you, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
Keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Look at that, look at that last part of that prayer again up there. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that this is why the reason is, and he says three things. He says, first, um, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That's, that's where we'll land today. That's what we're talking about today. Then he says also that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's what we've talked about the last two weeks. That's what we've already looked at in this series. And then the last thing, the third thing he prays, that they would know his incomparably great power for us who believe, that's where we'll be the next two weeks, or or next week. Next week we'll land and we'll talk about his power. But today I wanna look at this prayer, what Paul said he prayed for them, why he prayed it, and how it makes a difference in our life. You, You see, when there's those times when I don't know what to pray, when I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to pray or how I'm supposed to think about something, the best thing that I can do is find a passage of scripture and then let that scripture guide me in my prayer. I use God's word as a roadmap for praying, and I pray the scripture. Does that make sense? And you've done that? It's a powerful way. When I don't know what to pray, I pray God's word, and it helps me. So I think that this passage of scripture can help you in your prayer. For some of you, this could be very significant. I was, I was talking with a dear friend just before our, our first service this morning, and she was telling me about what was going on in her life and in her family. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's a desperate time for them. And she says, I just don't know what to do. And the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart. And I said to her, I'm so glad you're here today. Because the scripture that we're going to look at today speaks specifically to where you are, to what's going on in your life. And as you think of this, this scripture is going to help you. It's going to tell you how to pray for your situation. It's going to help you in that. So I believe that we can use this scripture as a model for our prayers as we pray for our family, as we pray for the church that we love. And as you pray for yourself, there's some things here that I want you to see. So here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're just going to read through these scriptures, these, these verses, and what I want to give to you is, is some observations, things that as I read them, I felt like this was, was what God was speaking to me, what the Spirit was speaking to the church. So I want to give you, as we walk through this first part of Paul's prayer, I want to give you seven observations today. And here, some of you, when you heard the number seven, you went, are you kidding me? Seven? Are you kidding me? Here's, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is I only got through the first three in the last two services. The good news is there's no end to this service, so we're going to get through all seven. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I got through all seven, both services. You're fine. You're fine. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's not as bad as it sounds. Okay, so let's jump in. Here we go. Seven observations out of this scripture, things I want you to see in this prayer that Paul prayed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. He right away says something unique here about them. He says, look, I'm hearing about you, and it's cool what I'm hearing. See, Paul, remember, he hasn't been with them for five to seven years, theologians say. It's been a while, but he's hearing stuff coming back about them. He's hearing things about his friends, people that he knew, and in five to seven years, don't you think the church would have grown as well? So there's new people that he's hearing about. There's exciting things that are happening. He's getting text messages, emails. He's FaceTiming dudes in Ephesus. And they're saying, look, there's good stuff going on here. And he's hearing about it. And he wants them to know. And this is a challenge for us as a church 
It's a challenge for us as individuals. Here's the first observation I'd make today. Number one, that our lives should be worth hearing about. Our lives should be worth hearing about. There should be something going on in our lives. There should be something going on in our church. There should be something going on in what we do that when other people hear it, 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 it strikes them. They, they hear something. They're, understanding. They're blessed by it. Um, this, is, this is significant. Here's the reason why. Because no matter what you do, people are going to hear about it one way or the other, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, one way or another, your life's communicating something. It's communicating something good. It's communicating something bad. Many of us, it just communicates something mediocre. So we should think about this because people are hearing about you one way or the other. Rhonda um, and I were high school sweethearts, but we started dating when I was a junior and she was a sophomore. And she had moved back to Ohio after having lived in Chicago for a few years. And I, had, I didn't know her prior to that. So she moved back. We were in the same church, same youth group. And so um, we started dating because she moved back to Ohio, met me, and she was like, this is the promised land, right? I mean, it was kind of like that. And so we were, we were dating. And then I went to this, as a part of our youth group, I went to this kind of national event. And what was interesting was I was there, and there were also people there from the youth group that she had been a part of in Chicago, and a couple of the people that were there were these two guys who were leaders in the youth group. And when Rhonda was in that youth group, they had kind of been like big brothers to her. But I didn't know this. So I'm there at this, uh, I'm there at this meeting, there, you know, this, this event. And these two, these two older dudes come walking up to me. Adults, grown men, come walking up to me. And they go, you Chad Gilligan? I'm like, yeah. Here's what they said. I remember they looked at me and they went, we heard about you. And I was terrified. You heard what? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what do you want to know? People are going to hear about you. So give them something to hear. What, what, live a life that's worth hearing about. What did Paul say that would be? Well, two things that he says about the church in Ephesus. He says people should hear about our faith. What does he say? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. People should hear about your faith. Here's the thing. If you are a person of faith, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, don't you live your life differently? See, you have a hope that other people don't have, and that hope should be contagious. Because whether you're preaching or not, your life is different. You have a hope. You live life in a different way, and other people should see that. Now, here's the deal. They might not like it. They might be convicted by it. They might be challenged by it, but they should see it, shouldn't they? And people should hear about our faith. And what that faith should lead to is not only should people hear about our faith, but people should hear about our love, because isn't that going to be the natural response? Paul says, look, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, if you are a person of faith, others will see it in your acts of love. It's one of the cool things that's come from um, Serve Week and, and an unintended consequence of loving the 419 is that people say things about the church and they recognize that God is doing something through Calvary's people to be a blessing and impact our community. That's super cool. People see, you know the Love the 419 stickers that some of you have on your cars? It's making a difference. People are seeing that. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, is my life worth talking about? And what are people saying? Ask yourself the question, what are people saying about the church? Not this church, but, but, but about Christians. Because in our world, in our culture, even recently in our media, there is, this, there is this desire to portray Christians in a way that's not real accurate, right? It becomes about religion and not about a relationship. 
So the only way the world's gonna see and hear about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, about the freedom and the peace and the joy and the hope that he brings is if they hear it from you and me, right? So they need to hear that in our lives. What are people saying about the the church, about Christians? What are people saying about Calvary? We need to make sure that people are hearing that this is a place where lives are changed and as a result, we're, we're loving the community. Here's what I hope. I hope people hear people say that if someone's got one of those 419 stickers on the back of their car that they're a good driver. That's what I hope they hear, right? And what are people hearing about you? Are they hearing that your life brings glory to God? Because that's what we saw last week we were created for. Paul starts out by reminding us that our lives should be worth hearing about. Then he says this, verse 16, look at what he says. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You know, one of the things that's that's powerful about Scripture is Scripture gives to us a, a way in which we can model our lives. It helps us to see this is the way we should live our life. If Jesus is alive and active in us, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, then this is what our life should look like. And so oftentimes when I read Scripture, I'll look at things and I'll go, okay, is my life like that? Because scripture tells me how my life should be, what my natural response should be if if the spirit is alive inside of me. Sometimes I'll refer to that as my default mode. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then my default mode, what should naturally happen inside of me, should be something. It's not always like that. And then as a result, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life. But Paul says here that when he thinks of them, he has these two natural responses. He says, I'm thankful for you, and I pray for you. Which shows me this, number two, that gratitude and prayer should be our default mode. When we hear what God is doing in the lives of other people, Our default mode should not be confusion and jealousy. Our default mode should be gratitude and prayer. That that's what works, that that's what happens in our lives, that that's our natural response. Now here's just being honest, it's not always like that for me though. Even when I think of people that I love and that I care about, my natural response is not to be thankful for them. Sometimes it's just to take them for granted. In fact, sometimes the more I care about someone, the easier it is for me to take them for granted. Have you found that to be true? Paul says, here, here's here's the way this works. When I think of you, I'm thankful for you. I tell myself, I stop and I say to God, God, I'm thankful for them. It becomes even trickier when sometimes we see good things happening in other people's lives that aren't happening in ours. (laughs) And then it's even more difficult for us to be thankful. Say, thanks, God, for them. Thanks, God, for what you're doing in their lives. But our default mode should be gratitude, and it should be prayers. My default mode isn't always to pray. Oftentimes, it's for me to be critical. I mean, if you think about it, I, I did a lot of driving this week. And as I was driving, I was listening to you know, podcasts and music, and then I, I took some time to listen to the news as I was driving. And what's interesting, especially if you start listening to like, like talk radio or something like that, the things they talk about are usually not good things, are they? <laughs> They're negative things. And the best thing we can do if we want ratings, if we want to, is if we can find something to talk about and then say everything that's wrong with it. Let's rip it apart. Let's, let's talk about what was said that was wrong. Let's talk about what was not said that was wrong. And there's this critical spirit that comes in. And if I'm, you're not like this because you're holier than I am, but if I'm not careful, then I'll pick up that critical spirit. And instead of having gratitude, instead of praying for others, I take good things for granted and I get a critical spirit in my heart. And that's something I need to watch because I can't let that become my default mode. Paul says that when I think of you, 
I should have gratitude and prayer as my default mood. When I was in, in college, I went to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, in a very formative time. And one of the things that we did there at, at Central Bible College, we had chapel just about every day. We had a chapel service. And, um, and our president at the time, his name was, was Dr. Maurice Lednicki. And Dr. Lednicki would, would lead the chapel service, and, and on a regular basis, he would make this statement. And it's just kind of burned inside of me. And just recently, I, I felt the Lord kind of, just kind of, truthfully, just convicting me with it again. And he would say this on a regular basis. He says, look, when you are here, when you're in this room, you're going to do one of two things. You will either worship or you will be critical of those who do. You're either going to worship or you'll be critical of those who do. Now, you chew on that for a little while. Apply it to some of the different areas in your life. And think about it. I'm either going to worship God with my life. All the alternative typically is that I'm going to be critical of those who do. I'm either going to be thankful or I'm going to be dismissive. I'm either going to take an issue and take it to God in prayer or I'll probably become critical of it. I'm either going to worship or I'm going to become critical of those who do. Paul knew this. That's why he modeled gratitude in prayer for us. That's why he said this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Why did he say that? Because he knew that as we lived life, there would be all kinds of stuff that would come our way. There would be things that would come that would defeat us, that would discourage us, that would frustrate us, that would upset us, that would even allow us to be done wrong. And what happens is if we're not careful, that becomes like, like poison in our veins, it's a toxic spirit that can come to us. And that kind of spirit can destroy us if we don't have an antidote for it. And here's the truth. Gratitude and prayer are the antidote for a toxic spirit. If you want to know, how do I deal with those times I was done wrong? How do I deal with that frustration? How do I interact with that person who's a struggle for me? Paul says, look, when I think of you, you know what I do? My default mode is I'm thankful and I pray. Gratitude and prayer are the antidote for a toxic spirit. And it can make all the difference in our lives. And so Paul says, look, I've heard about you. I heard about your faith. I heard about your love. And when I think of you, you know what I do? I say thanks, God, for them, and I pray for them. And then he says this, verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here's what he says. He says, I pray for you. But he doesn't say, you know, just every so often I kneel by my bed and I, and I pray a little bedtime prayer for you. It's just not God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You see what he says there? He says, I have not stopped praying for you. He says, I always keep asking God for this on your behalf. And here's what he's modeling for us. Number three, our prayers should be consistent and persistent. Our prayers should be consistent and persistent. I have not stopped praying. I keep asking God. I was um, in my office a week or two ago, and I, I got a phone call from a friend and said that one of their family members was, was being rushed to the emergency room. And uh, so I, I hopped in the car and rode over there, and so thankful that it was uh, not as serious as people thought. It's always serious when you're in the emergency room. Um, but uh, was sitting there and was waiting in the, in the lobby um, and waiting to be able to go back. And while we were sitting there talking, this, this dad came up, this young guy. And you could tell not only was he a young father, but he was a young first-time father. 
and he had the carrier, and he had his little guy inside of there, and I don't know, the guy was, little boy was probably, I don't know, five, six months, something like that, and he'd taken some kind of tumble and fell on his head. And so this dad was freaked out, as you might imagine. And he walked right up to that desk where you'd check in, and it was interesting to watch him in that moment because, um, you know, sometimes when you go to the emergency room, they're like, hey, great, glad you're here. Here's what we want you to do. Go sit over there in that corner, and in about six hours after we forget about you, why don't you come back up? And then we'll work this out. Not always that way, but sometimes, you know, it can, you can kind of feel like you had that experience. This dad wasn't risking that. He was standing right there. He's like, hey, this is my little guy, and he hit his head. And if you don't do something, this dad's going to have a meltdown right here in front of you. And so I'm not doing anything until I know this is good. And I'm staying right here until you get this figured out. So somebody take a look at him now, and we're going to make sure it's good. And we're not, we're not just going to look. We're going to make sure that it's good. He was consistent in his role. He was persistent in his request. And he said, look, I got a need, and you're going to meet it. When was the last time you prayed like that? When was the last time you said, God, this is, this is what's here in front of me. And I'm going to bring this need to you, and I'm going to be consistent in bringing it to you, and I'm going to be persistent in getting an answer. Do you know God likes that kind of prayer? Luke chapter 18, we, we don't have time to read it right now, but cool story. Luke chapter 18, about this persistent widow. And here's the moral to the story. The persistent widow gets her request answered because she's a real pain to the person that she's asking. At some point, our prayer needs to be persistent, it needs to be consistent, and we need to pray with passion. Paul says, look, I love you so much that I haven't stopped praying for you. I keep asking God for you. You know, we, we have been in a really exciting season as a church. God has been giving us growth. He's been giving us opportunity. And I've just kind of sensed for a while that um, we really need to find a, a real sense of direction from him and that corporately we sense that, we feel that. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I want to invite you. We'll start this here in a couple of weeks. But October 4th to November 1st, kind of the whole month of October, we're going to call 28 Days of Prayer. And I, and I, want, I want you to, to join me in praying very specifically during that time. Even next week, we'll give you some more interaction. We're going to give you some resources, some things to help us in praying strategically during that time. Here's what we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for our world. We're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray specifically for the church. We're going to pray for breakthrough in your lives. We're, we're going to believe that. Because here's what I know. I really do believe the rest of this year, and especially going into 2016, God has some things in store for us as individuals, and in particular for our church, that he's going to give us opportunity and effectiveness like we've never known before. I just know this, that before I do anything, I want to make sure that I've prayed about what it is that we're doing. Amen? So would you consider, and we'll talk more about this, joining us in this 28 days of prayer and asking the Lord for his guidance and direction that we do it consistently, that we do it persistently. And here's what Paul says about this prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Look at what he prayed for. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That word right there, the, the little phrase, he says, so that, that tells you the why, right? Here's why I'm praying this. I'm praying this so that you may know him better. And here's what happens to you and I a lot of times. We let the focus of our prayers get, get shifted off of what it really should be. So many times when we pray, why do we pray? We pray because we need something. We pray out of our lack or we pray out of our pain. And we say, God, this is my need and I need you to meet it. And Paul says, look, that's not what I pray for you. <laughs> 
I don't pray that everything will go well for you. I don't pray that everything will be happy. I don't pray that just that all your needs will be met. Although all those things are important. He says, look, I pray for you so that you will know Jesus better. And that word know there isn't just head. It's not just theology. It's not just understanding. It's relationship. It's intimacy. It's a personal acquaintance. It's a friendship. He says, look, my prayer is that God will work in your heart so that you will know him better. So if that's the case, think about this. Number four. The goal of our prayers should be to meet our need to be with Jesus and not for Jesus to meet our needs. The goal of our prayers should be to meet our need to be with Jesus and not for Jesus to meet our needs. Does does the difference make sense there? It's not just me praying, Jesus, I need you to meet my needs, but it's me recognizing that my greatest need is to meet with Jesus. It's to be with him. It's to have him be at work in my life. Not just what can I get from you. Now here, help me with this, a little true or false quiz. Are are you ready? Here we go. Um, Jesus, uh, let let me just say it this way. God wants to meet your needs, true or false? God can meet your needs, true or false? Absolutely. Look at what scripture says. Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching about prayer and he says this. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows your needs and he wants to meet them. Philippians chapter four, verse 19, Paul writes, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's one that some of you need to write down. Philippians 4, 19. I gotta remember that verse because I have big needs. But the needs aren't the point. Back to Matthew chapter six, listen to what Jesus says. He says, so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you see what he said? Look, if you need your needs met, don't talk to God about your needs. He already knows them. He's going to supply all your needs. What you need to do is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Get to know him, because if you get to know him, then that's where your needs are met. See, the focus of our prayers should not be on Jesus meeting our needs, but on our greatest need, which is to meet with Jesus. Look, I, 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 when, I'm, when I'm preaching, I just want everybody to be happy. I don't want to stir up controversy. I don't want to cause trouble. But I heard a report on the news this week, did a little research, scientific finding, that I know some of you are not going to like, but I think we need to talk about it. Scientists have done some research. And, and since this was released, I don't know, a week or two ago, there's been blog posts, there's been arguments. I, like, I heard about it, you know, on a radio program. I mean, all this kind of stuff. So, so understand, I know there's, this is debatable, but I want you to grasp that Scientists have reached a conclusion that your cat does not love you. Your cat could care less about you. Dogs appear to have emotional attachments to their owners. They care. Your cat couldn't give a rip about you. You are to them a means to an end. Now I know some of you need a little deliverance. I don't know how this works out. Here's the deal. Here's what they've concluded. They've said this. Look, your cat doesn't have an emotional attachment to you. Your cat just knows that without you, it can't have what it wants. So when your cat comes rubbing up against you, 
When your cat purrs, when your cat meows, you're being played, buddy. That's what's going on, right? Your cat is manipulating you to get what it wants. Man, I knew a girl like that in high school. I am telling you, manipulate you to get. We have, we have a dog at home. My dog loves me. I come home late. My family's upset. I come home late. My dog is so excited to see me. My cat, now let me change that. We have a cat. It's not my cat. The cat and I share an address. Our cat, okay, our cat. I don't talk about it much. I don't talk about it much. Our cat, sometimes I think that cat loves me, tricks me. I start feeling a little affection. And then I walk in the room, and I look. That cat across the room is plotting my demise. I'm telling you what, thinking. Because here's the point. They say, look, cats don't have, a ten, they don't have affection. They just know that if they will do the right things, they'll get what they want. Some of you are God's cat. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we're all guilty of it. And we say, if I, if I meow, if I purr, if I rub up against the right things, then maybe God will give me what I want. But it's not because we have any kind of relationship with him. What's Paul say? You know why I pray for you? The goal of the prayer is so that you will know him better. That you won't just look for Jesus to meet your need, but that you'll let Jesus be the thing that meets your greatest need. What are we praying for? Let's go back to verse 17, Ephesians chapter one, verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here's what he says. Number five, the Holy Spirit gives us insight that can be found in no other way. Number five, the Holy Spirit gives us insight that can be found in no other way. He says, look, I pray for you so that you will know him better. And this is gonna happen when the Spirit gives you wisdom and revelation. What's wisdom? When you get a right perspective on, on something. What's revelation? When you have divine insight that you could have in no other way. And Paul says, look, my prayer for you is that you will have that wisdom, that you'll have that revelation. My prayer for some of you is the same thing. Because some of you, you're just struggling because you can't figure this thing out. And whether you're supposed to or not, it's a challenge to you. You ever seen a movie like where you're watching the movie and you just get so sucked into the plot and you think you've got it figured out, you're like, that guy did it. And then as you're watching the movie, you're like, that guy didn't do it, that guy did it. No, that guy didn't do it, that guy did do it. No, he didn't, that guy did it, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And you watch the whole movie and it takes you all over the place until you finally get to the end and they kind of unveil the whole thing for you and you see how all the twists and turns came together and you're like, oh, wow. I did not see that coming. Have you ever had that experience? You're like, I gotta watch that again just to figure it out. And you know, life's like that. It takes a lot of twists and turns. There's changes in the plot. And there's things that we, we either cannot understand in the moment or we will never understand or we'll never have the faith to trust that we can understand unless we allow the Holy Spirit to give us his wisdom and his revelation. He wants us to have it. He wants us to receive it so that we can know what he's doing, how he's at work, and even more, how we can trust in him. The problem is that there's oftentimes things that block that in our lives. Oftentimes there's things that keep us from seeing what it is that God wants to do. That's why Paul prays the next thing. Go to verse 18, Ephesians chapter one, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Sounds like he failed anatomy at Hebrew high school, doesn't it? Your heart doesn't have eyes. When the New Testament talks about the heart, not so much the physical um, organ. He's talking about who you are. Kind of your spiritual, emotional, the center of your personality. It's the core of your being. Your heart is who you are. And he's saying that out of your heart, that, that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that they'd be enlightened, that you would see what it is that you're supposed to see. That's Paul's prayer for them. He says, I want you to see clearly. And here's the truth. Number six, we see life clearly when our spiritual eyes are open. So that's what Paul prays. He prays, look, I want you to be able to see clearly this divine wisdom, this insight, this revelation. I want you to see it clearly, and I want your eyes to be open. You know, this series of messages we're calling stories, and part of what we're doing is we're sharing with you some stories of some of Calvary's people who have experienced life change through Jesus Christ. And today I want you to hear Rick's story. It's, a, it's about a wake-up call that he had when the Holy Spirit allowed his spiritual eyes to be enlightened so he could see more clearly what God was doing in his life. So if you would, please, turn your attention to the screens. Hey, uh, my name's Rick Vogelbacher. I've been at Calvary for probably about a year and a half. And uh, the story is the day uh, I got a little wake-up call from Christ. It's funny because God's got a certain way of waking us up when you really don't even know uh, he's talking to you. Fishing has always been... One of my things I've always enjoyed doing since a little kid, and I have a buddy of mine that's a real good friend of mine, and we've always fished together for probably over 15 years. Both very punctual. We get there, sunrise. I don't think we've ever been late a day in our life, and this particular day was different. Uh, for whatever reason that morning, the alarm went off three times, hit the alarm snooze button three times, and uh, we start to go to the, this area where we are going to check the lake out maybe a small pocket where we could get out of the wind. And as we're on the road, literally driving down the road, we both have this urge to do something different. So literally on a dime, we changed course on the way there, getting about a two hour late start. And we start weaving our way through these roads that we don't even know where we're really going, just trying to follow the river up to where we think the ramp is. We pull into the ramp, Water is rough. I mean, there's four-foot waves coming in on the ramp. So we're the only part one in the parking lot. But we figure if we can get the boat in, head up river, we'll be all right. We get the boat in. The waves are crashing on their side. We turn the boat, and we look off way in the distance, and we both sort of see this at the same time. There's just like this little red, like a little buoy or something, you know, or something you'd have in your pool off in the distance. We're like, what is that? We hear some people yelling, help, help. I pull my camera out. I zoom in on it, and I can see a guy clinging to his kayak that he had flipped over. The water is 46 degrees. The air temperature out is like 42 degrees. And we literally instantly race the boat over there to where he's at. He's, he's in the water. He's got one arm just sort of draped over the light jacket, one just barely dangling onto the kayak. Grab his arm, pull him into the boat. He can't even talk. He's about ready to go under. We race him back to the ramp. Just as that, rescue squads were pulling up from people that had called. He had apparently been in the water for almost 30 minutes and was really hypothermic and couldn't even talk. They revived him, took him to the hospital. He had a full recovery. So it got me thinking, why me? Why, why were we there, you know? It's more than just a coincidence. And we literally, we both had goosebumps on our arms just thinking about it, you know, 
why, why did they choose me to come here and save this man's life? I thought maybe, you know, the Holy Spirit and Christ was speaking to me that uh, something I needed to do. And uh, the more I looked at it, uh, the more I had to look at myself. I was out of balance. And I really wasn't thinking about it, you know. I'm rowing the boat, I'm looking at everything behind me, and I'm not looking where I'm going. I'm supposed to be going towards Christ. I've got too much outside stuff, my work, fishing, too much fishing, too much a little bit of everything, and not enough Christ, and I don't have any balance. I've always been a believer in Christ, but he's like that friend or family member that you take for granted sometimes. Well, go back to the back of the line, Christ. And that's not where you should be. You should be at the front of the line. Your eyes should always be on him. There's always something new. There's always that distraction. And I think what you need to do and what I needed to do was focus more on the Bible. I'll, I'll read it on my lunch break now. I mean, our truth is in the Bible and that's where we need to find it. I'm more open to listening to what the Spirit is telling me to do and less of what my body and my flesh wants to do. I started reading the Bible after that and I started realizing that there's a lot of average people. I mean, these aren't like superheroes or nothing they are doing this. I mean, Jesus is picking out your average Joe. I mean, Peter was a fisherman and come follow me. What better thing could a person do than bring someone else to Christ himself and save them and their salvation? We all can save lives. You just have to do, look which way you're doing it and look to Christ and bring them to Christ. That's the way we save. I got this certificate, citizenship award saving the man's life, it doesn't mean that to me. It's a day that Christ called me home again and said, wake up, I'm over here. Start rowing your boat in the right direction and put your hands in these holes. Put, put, put them in these holes. This is real, this is me speaking to you. I am real and uh, for me, that was my wake up call. And a great story. First of all, if you're ever going kayaking, take Rick. <laughs> Second, it's a powerful thing when God by his spirit will allow the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. Like Time Magazine, USA Today, they don't, they don't call me. They don't ask me, Chad, what do you think when they're putting their list together? But if they called and said, we're gonna put a list together of the greatest scientific minds of the last 100 years, you know who'd be at the top of my list? the dude that said, let's put a flashlight on a cell phone. Aren't you thankful for that guy? I use this thing, I've used it multiple times today because I just, you know, when I need it, when I'm in the dark, I turn on the light and it helps me to find what I need to find. It helps me to go where I need to go. Anybody else, your junkie, your cell phone flashlight? And sometimes I just need to say, God, I need you to enlighten the eyes of my heart because I've let, this world or I've let my cares or I've let distractions keep me from seeing you. Paul says, look, I've, I've heard about your life and I pray for you with persistency and consistency. I pray for you, I'm thankful for you because I want you to know Jesus better. I want you to have his spirit at work in your life and here's the reason why I want you to see life so clearly, Ephesus. He writes this to the city of Ephesus. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks because they lived in a messed up town in a messed up world. They lived in a place that was chasing after false gods. 
Ephesus was a really significant place. It was the fourth largest city of the kingdom. It was a crossroads city. It had a major port. It had major highways, both north and south and east and west went through. Sound like any place you live? And he said to this very significant city, look, I tell you all of this. I want your eyes to be open because you live in a place You live in a place and you live in a time that if you don't have the right perspective, if you don't see things clearly, it's gonna mess you up. And you're not gonna be able to make it. And you're not gonna live the life that that I want. Paul says, look, I'm writing to a church that I will never see again. This is probably the last time that you'll hear from me. And I don't want you to miss this. He says to Ephesus, and I say to Toledo, there is a reason why the eyes of your heart need to be enlightened. Number seven, Ephesians chapter one, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He says, because if you don't have hope, if you're just chasing after false gods, if you're just trying to make it happen on your own, if you're just trying to do it by your own strength, if you're just struggling to figure things out, if your eyes aren't enlightened and you don't have hope, you're not gonna make it. But Ephesus, he says, I love you way too much to leave you in that spot. So I pray persistently and consistently. I haven't stopped and I always ask God that by his spirit of wisdom and revelation, he would open up your eyes so that you could see the hope that you've been called to. Number seven because we live with confidence because we've been called to hope you can live with confidence because of the hope that he's called you to you can live and rest in that and this is an interesting season in which we live right because we live in a time when we hear hope all the time if you've listened to the news lately if you've picked up a newspaper you know this we are in the midst of election season aren't we and the truth is we're not yet we're still more than a year out from the election And yet, what are we talking about all the time? This candidate, this, and this candidate, that. And we're we're trying to decide, how how are we going to vote in November of 2016? It's Republican, it's Democrat, it's here, it's there. And, you know, this is really important, actually, because you you need to make a wise decision. I think it's not just your American duty. I think it's also your spiritual duty. It's your duty as a Christian to be well informed and to vote and to be involved in those things. In fact, the truth is, for some of you, God may be stirring in your heart that it's more than just for you to vote, but maybe you're supposed to get involved. Maybe you're supposed to pursue a place of, of, of leadership in our community or in the state or in government in some way. I mean, this year, just about anybody can run for president, so who knows? Go for it, right? I mean, it's just kind of how it's going. But the truth is, God may be, stir- I mean, just, but God could be stirring something in your heart to do something. That's legit. But here's what happens. We're watching this, right? It's on the news. It's on TV all the time. And it's candidate after candidate after candidate who says, look, I, I, I want you to vote for me because I, I can bring hope to our nation. I want you to vote for me because I've got the idea that will restore hope where there, is, where there is an issue. And the reason we watch this is because we hope that this person will be able to help us. The reason we vote is we vote for the person that we think is our best hope in government. And the truth is we get sidetracked when we start putting our hope in things where there really can't be follow through, right? Because what happens is we hear all kinds of campaign promises of hope and then when those aren't met or when they're not realistic, it stirs something inside of us. And the truth is if we're not careful as we go through this season, we can let our hearts get kind of jaded, can't we? How many of you are already there? Beyond repair, right? But our hope isn't in a candidate. Our hope isn't in a campaign promise. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And it's not some kind of hope that some, somebody who was trying to get something from you promised to you. 
No, it's the hope that from the very beginning of time he put out there and then he called you to it. He said, look, that hope's yours. It's hope that I not only promised for you, but I won for you on the cross and then I sealed it. Remember we looked at this last week? Because I gave the Holy Spirit. So with all of my authority and with all my power, I say to you, look, I've got hope for you. And for some of you, the most important thing that you can hear today, the thing that you need to realize before you walk out these doors, is that the reason that we pray that our eyes be opened, the reason that we believe that knowing Jesus matters, the reason that we live a life that's worth talking about, is because in a hopeless world, we have hope that's real, right? So would you do this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? We could go a lot of different directions here. We, we could talk about living a life that's worth hearing about. We could talk about praying with persistency and consistency. We could talk about having our spiritual eyes open. And I would challenge you that first uh, Ephesians chapter 1 might be a great prayer for you to pray for yourself. But here's where I want to land before we go. There may be some of you that the Spirit's speaking to your heart and just telling you that there's hope. And you'd say, God, what I clearly need is the eyes of my heart to be open and enlightened today to see the hope that you've called me to. And if you're, if you're sitting here in this room or if you're watching this on a screen somewhere and you would say, today, what I need is hope, will you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Man, what I need, man, hands all over. What I need is hope. And we're gonna pray that God will enlighten your eyes see that hope that he's called you to. Father, that's our prayer today. Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. We thank you for the things that it challenges us with. And Lord, you have seen the, the hands that have been raised today that said what is their desire is to find hope. And so Lord, we come to you not because we need our needs met, but because we know that our needs are only met in you. And I pray for the one who is maybe experiencing confusion or doubt, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would allow them to have the eyes of their heart enlightened so that, Lord, they could see and know not some kind of random campaign promise, not, not something to hold on to that doesn't have authority or that will not last, but that by your Holy Spirit right now, you would remind them of the hope that you have called us to. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.